Welcome to Bar Fights with attorney and advocate Sarah Klein. Taking on issues that matter and advocating for legal, cultural, and political change everywhere in order to protect children and vulnerable adults. Joining the conversation are survivors, advocates, lawyers, media personalities, athletes, celebrities, authors, wellness aficionados, and many more. Because bringing real justice takes a team of experts who care. Now, leading the fight is your host, Sarah Klein. Hey, you guys, welcome back to Bar Fights. Happy Monday, and I am so pumped you're here with us. You guys, we have been getting so much awesome feedback from the amazing guests that we're having on this show, and I'm trying to stay true to my goal of putting out a show every Monday this summer, Um, and so far, so good. And what's fun about it is... I'm getting to make so many new, amazing friends. And the guests that we're, we're going to have on the show, you guys are going to hear from today. I call a friend, even though we have never met in person. Um, what's so cool about doing this show, you guys, is I get to meet so many cool people that become friends where our paths probably never would have crossed in life. Maybe we live in different states. We do different kinds of work. But because of these shared experiences in our commitment to doing our part for other people going through similar things or just adversity in general, um, our paths cross and it's like an instant bond. It's so fun. I had such a blast doing our guest podcast and we're going to tell you guys all about it today. So let me introduce you to my friend, Miranda Pacchiana. She's an MSW. She's a personal coach, writer, survivor, and host of this awesome podcast called Truth and consequences navigating the aftermath of trauma. And man, oh man, I wish I had this, you know, many, many years ago. I love that it's out there now. And we're going to talk more about the show and what you guys cover on the show. But Miranda has spent over two decades doing this work. And I love the angle that she takes, which is something that I really had never thought about until you brought it into my consciousness, which is the concept of the second wound, um, which is a phrase that you've so perfectly coined where the trauma occurs and then you go to disclose it to your family member or to somebody else. And there can oftentimes be this huge, sometimes even worse, traumatization in addition to the trauma you already experienced. Um, And you were so beautifully able to identify this second traumatization, second wound, and have now dedicated your work to that. And, you know, it's not something that's been at the forefront of, of my, my consciousness, just because of my own experience, but I'm like looking at my clients and I'm looking at other survivors and I'm seeing like, sometimes that affects them so much worse than 
the trauma they even experienced. So I could talk about this all day, but you're here and I'm going to stop talking and let you do it. Miranda Pacchiano, welcome to Bar Fights. Thank you so much, Sarah. You're doing a great job, actually, and um, I appreciate this opportunity. I'm always eager to be able to share this information and my empathy with people who are dealing with re-traumatization because, like you said, I was that person, too. I created this website and platform because I needed it. I was blindsided and confused, and I didn't know what was happening, and I didn't know where to turn, so eventually I started writing about it myself. And people came out of the woodwork, told me that they had similar experiences. I started a dialogue online. I'm now coaching and I've learned so much that I am eager to share with your audience and your listeners. So what I call the second wound is actually basically a phenomenon that has multiple components and they can vary but it starts with when you disclose to your inner circle, your family, your loved ones, and when you get negative responses. And those can include outright disbelief and denial of your truth and your experiences. It can include minimizing your trauma, maybe even giving you lip service that people do care about it and they do believe you, but then they act as though it doesn't really matter and nothing has changed. Often survivors end up getting scapegoated in their group of loved ones in their community and they get seen as the problem. They get labeled as the troublemaker for bringing up this issue and this truth that they've experienced especially when the person who has perpetrated the abuse on them is within that group. So they're seen as the problem instead of the trauma, the abuse, the person who inflicted upon them, inflicted it upon them or a people. Um, you know, something that happened to me was being left out of events that I normally would have been included in, in favor of the perpetrator or being told you can come if you want, but they're going to be there. And once you are truly in touch with what happened to you and who inflicted upon you, as you know, Sarah, you know, that becomes an enormous trigger. It's just not tolerable. So other things that can happen are smear campaigns where people yeah. start Right. Yeah. I'm sure. You've seen this. With your clients. I see that with my, I see that we experienced it, but mm -hmm. we also, I see that all the time with my clients, especially when the perpetrator is sort of that godlike figure within whatever community it is, whether it's Hollywood, whether it's the neighborhood, whether yeah. it's the church, the teacher, the school, whatever, where the person speaking out is the one that oftentimes just gets eviscerated in yes. favor of the perpetrator because, and you could tell me this psychology, you're, you're, you have the mental health background. I don't, but what I think it is, and I could be wrong, but you tell me is like, people don't want to admit that they were wrong about another person because it would mean that they would have to say to themselves, my inner compass was fucking way off. Right. And Bingo. I yes. Yeah. Sarah, that's so weird that you just said that I've been saying that for a while. And yeah. I just wrote a post about that 
about an hour ago on my, oh my social gosh. media. That is I can't so wait weird. to read it. I can't wait to read it. But you are you are astute. Most people don't realize that. I do think that that is one of the major reasons is that people feel like if I can't trust my own judgment, then I can't trust the world, which is an understandable psychological phenomenon, right? Yeah, but they're so off. And and so yeah. what we see is they then double down on Larry Nassar is the best thing ever. He's the best doctor or, you know, teacher so-and-so at Podunk Middle School. You know, I send my kid to that teacher for after-school tutoring and I don't think they hurt my child. So you must be the liar, right? It's so, so crazy how people double down because they don't want to be wrong. Exactly. And they don't want to believe that their child could be in danger. They don't want to believe that someone in their circle could be dangerous or that maybe that the world is that unsafe and that we do have to watch out and that people who harm children in this way are, you know, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. They quite often are really appealing and charismatic and powerful and they pull people into their webs for good reason. Yeah. And fun happens. and funny sure. and nice and mm-hmm. warm and safe feeling and all the things. So what happens at the point of disclosure can have a huge impact, especially if it's a negative. Tell me more about this phenomenon of the second wound. Well, so many people say to me, it wasn't just as bad as the abuse. It was, it's worse. And I'm, I'm not saying it was worse. I'm saying it is worse because that's one of the reasons it's so bad is it doesn't end, you know, the abuse for you and I is something that happened in the past. We will always carry it with us. You can never be free of your trauma, but you can learn to carry it. You can learn to shrink it down. And at times it will expand again, but we have some control, a lot of control over doing that healing work. We can't control other people's behaviors, attitudes, and beliefs. We can give them all the information. We can try and be persuasive, but that's not going to change someone's denial And denial comes in for a lot of different reasons, you know, some of which we've already talked about. Um, Sometimes it's their own experiences that they're not in touch with. Maybe sexual abuse runs in the family. Maybe sexual abuse runs all through the gymnastics profession and so many other youth sports and anywhere that youth is, as you know. So another reason that it hurts so much is because in many ways it mirrors what happened to us. Mm -hmm. We're silenced, we're shamed, and we're victimized. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing I can say is, you know, the abuse didn't break my heart. The response from certain people broke my heart, right? That's really well said. Yeah. Yeah. And so you identified this, you've dedicated decades to this work. 
what do we do about it? You know, what, what, how, how do you guide your clients through this? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I want people to understand that you can live a healthy, happy life, even though that this has happened to you, even if it's happening today, I'm an example of that. Again, it's not something that I fully leave behind, Mm -hmm. but I have created my own support system, my own community. It takes time and it takes healing on my own to understand it, get in touch with it and learn to live with it. Um, But I have sought out and surrounded myself with people who get it, people who are proud of me and support me. Um, The first person I ever told when I was about 26 was my therapist. And I still really wasn't even at that point in touch with the fact that what I was describing to her was child sexual abuse. I was still in denial. Mm -hmm even though I had these memories and I had never forgotten them, I just put them on a shelf. Mm -hmm. And I went home after that session. I still remember it so vividly. And I told my husband, it's going to make me cry. Mm. And he put his arms around me and he said, I'm so proud of you. Mm. And that is healing. So to have, you know, my chosen family, I call it family. I love that. And you and I have become family. I oh, hope. I love that, Sarah. Absolutely. I'm honored. Um, so we can create families and communities of our own. And that's one of the biggest parts of it. Um, it is really important to get treatment for your abuse, Mm -hmm. of course, whether that's trauma treatment, one-on-one therapy, group therapy. um, And also I think educating yourself on why this happens and what is happening and that you are not alone. I think that's really key because my confusion and my sense that I was alone in this, which again is very similar to how we feel when we're abused. I'm the Mm -hmm. only one that this person has done this to, right? Yeah. So many of us assume that. Yeah. To be able to know that not only does this happen to a lot of people, a huge amount of people, but it's like I said before, it's a phenomenon with components. You're not alone. And I also tell myself when I get pushback, which I still do. And I hear things people are saying about me that aren't true. I just tell myself I'm in really good company. Yep. I look at you. I look at our mutual friend, Catherine and countless other survivors who have come forward and haven't come forward. And I'm so damn proud of all of us. We're the strong ones because we're living authentically in our truth and I'm freaking proud. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I said at some point, like switching the paradigm from it's cool to shut the fuck up and not say anything to it's cool to raise your hand and say, yeah, I was abused as a kid. Like, 
yeah, I am part of that club. Um, and we are the cool kids now, right? <laughs> I, I kind of like have that. I have that image of like, we're the cool kids now. Um, and like, in my case, my teammates who, when I came and spoke out and spoke out against our coach, um, it was like, I sm- spoke out against the mafia boss, um, and they were cool and they were shaming me and blaming me and all these things thinking I would shut up and go away. And instead I just started talking louder and prouder. It's like, no, you're not the cool kids anymore. I'm the cool kid. And the people, you know, that, that stood up with me from that old regime became the cool kids. I love, I love that image. And it's something you wrote on your website, which is like a new mantra for me. Um, I love, you said, you are not the troublemaker. You are the truth teller. Right. Like, boom, that says it so perfectly. Thank you You, for speaking up and speaking out and being the one that's going up against that godlike figure or that parental figure or whoever you're speaking out against. You're not the troublemaker. You are telling the truth. You are the truth teller. I love that so much. That's right. And we shouldn't have to minimize the truth. We shouldn't have to, quote, let it go. And I forget what other thing I was going to say. Listen, that there's a third thing that ha- there's always a third thing. Um, and we just, you know, it's a, it's a Friday. It's a holiday it a weekend. Friday. I actually don't know why we're not drinking cocktails right now. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you got that idea a little late. I know. Right. Why didn't we come to the table with cocktails next time, next time for sure? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm curious about in this I didn't have this question before we, we started talking, but now that we're talking, I'm thinking about, let's say you're a child or a teenager trying to disclose and your parent or somebody, your teacher, your counselor, you know, meets you with that blame or shame or whatever. And you don't have the resources at that point to you know, create your own family. What does a kid do when at that moment of disclosure, they're met with that second wound? That is so brutal because like you're saying, that moment of disclosure is so crucial and they are very vulnerable. It's vulnerable enough to tell it's much more so when you're a minor Mm -hmm. and you're so impacted by those responses. So I would just say, keep telling Mm-hmm. and keep telling and keep telling and reach out to me through my website if you need to. Yeah. But yeah. that unfortunately does happen a lot. And I do have clients who told when it was happening and now are adults and looking back and holding their parents responsible and other people who didn't take it seriously. They might've believed them, but they didn't take appropriate action. Yeah. And, and for the parents listening, I ask that question for the parents that have the chance to educate their child that if you tell the truth to a grown up and that grown up doesn't believe you or minimizes or whatever, you teach your child to keep telling and keep telling and keep telling and keep telling. And it's also really important. And I know that we say this a lot, but it can't be said enough. It's not your fault and it is not your shame. Someone, the person that did this person or people, they 
committed a crime, they did something wrong, even if it's just starting and you're feeling funny about it, trust your instincts, listen to your instincts. So let me ask you this. you do this coaching work now. I suspect that you meet people who are suffering. And then when you're done working with them or as you, you know, go through the process, the suffering hopefully lessens and they become more free. How do you do that? What's the process? What's your work? How, how are you healing others because that's what you are, Miranda, you're a healer. How do you do what you do? It's really, really gratifying. And I love the work so much. It really just comes naturally. Um, It really depends on where the person is coming from, where they're starting. And I have people starting in all different places. I even work with parents as well, who are trying to come to terms with their children, disclosing to them or also other kinds of abuse in the family. Um, It takes time and building a relationship and information and a sincere compassion for them to teach them the components that I'm sharing with you right now. Mm -hmm. It takes repetition, explanation. They bring their stories to me of what happened that week And we break it down and I show them that the world that they're living in with their loved ones is, I call it backwards and upside down. It's the opposite of how it should be. You should not be taking the blame for this. You should not be the one with the fallout and who's feeling ashamed of yourself and afraid to say more. You should be heard. And I know we don't live in a perfect world, but I try to correct that reality for them and then be there for them. And you know, they do the bulk of the work. I'm just filling in the blanks for them. It takes, as you know, courage and strength. It's exhausting. It's painful to dig through all of these things, but you're going to live with it anyway. So you might as well get help. Might as well get help. What are, for people that, that are coming to you, some of the common goals? What do they want to get out of their work with you? Sometimes this will be interesting to you. They want to pursue litigation or reporting the person. And I talk with them about that. I always say I'm not a lawyer, so I refer them out if I can, but we talk about the implications of that emotionally and That is a driving need for some people. And I absolutely respect wherever people come from. Some people would Mm -hmm. never consider that. And that's fine too. That's part of how they handle it. Um, Sometimes they want to figure out how to make it work with their families. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was for a long, long time. And, you know, with my inner circle, I tried to make it work at it was a series of estrangements going back and forth, trying to understand what I was going through and communicate it better and better. But some people just aren't going to hear it. So I will just meet them where they are, really. Sometimes it's coming to terms with the fact that they don't want to see their family anymore. Um, it's a combination of all of these things. But again, it's I meet them where they are and I 
never push anyone toward these decisions because it really has to come from them. Totally. And I, I could guess and tell me if I'm wrong that a lot of times it's work about boundaries, right? And how to set, because I think as survivors, especially when you're a child, maybe you never even learned what healthy boundaries look like or how you should expect to be treated or respected. Um, And so when they get to adulthood and are kind of stumbling around, I would expect some of your work could be helping them understand even what a healthy boundary looks like and then how to implement it with people that maybe you, you know, traditionally don't expect the word boundary to come up with like your mother or your brother or, you know, boundary with my brother. What do you mean? Right. You see a lot of that kind of thing. Absolutely. And oftentimes people, when they tried to set boundaries and they were growing up, got pushback for that right? They got in trouble or they got shamed for that. So it is so important to be able to correct that and learn. And the thing about boundaries that I think is important for all of us to understand is boundaries are for us. We set them, but we can't then sit back and expect that I set that boundary. I made it clear. So now you better not cross it. People are going to try to cross it. That's why we had to create the boundary in the first place. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's really about us uh, reinforcing it and sticking to it for ourselves. A hundred percent. And, and I, I think it's probably a work in progress. Um, I'm a big believer in coaching in general. Like I always say, like, we're so apt to get a coach for our physical bodies, right? Personal training, whatever. Um, But why don't we have coaches in other areas of our lives, business coaching, financial coaching, um, you know, mental health coaching, trauma recovery coaching. Um, And I love therapy so much and I'm a big proponent, don't get me wrong, but I love the idea that coaching kind of takes you where you are and it's a little sometimes more, action oriented, um, tools oriented, um, accountability oriented. And I always say like, you don't get to the Olympics without a coach. Why are you trying to recover from trauma without a coach? I don't get it. Why are you trying to do a lot of stuff without a coach? We all need coaching. And, and so I love the idea that you're there as a coach, not to make people go backwards and swim around in the past and leave feeling worse off, but you're there to take them where they're at and walk them into a better, healthier, freer future. Um, I agree. And I do believe in setting goals. And sometimes that is how we start out. We get real specific with goals and sometimes not depending on what the client wants, but I'm with you. And Hey, my husband and I have a business. We have business coaches. Uh, the only thing I don't have a coach for is working out. I have YouTube, but (laughs) I'm with you. I think we need someone who knows what they're doing to advise us on our life in different areas. Yeah. I love it. So cool. So in addition to your coaching practice, 
Um, you have this podcast. Yeah. Tell us about the podcast. I was so lucky to get to be a guest with you and your co-host, Catherine Robb, who um, is the executive director of Child U.S. Advocacy, huge figure in the statutes of limitations world and the survivor Such world, mm-hmm. um, a dear friend and sister of mine. Tell us about the show. What are you guys up to? Thank you. Oh my God. And she speaks so highly of you too. She adores you. Um, You guys are both like powerhouses to me. I'm, I'm in awe of the work that both of you do. So yeah, I started this podcast. uh, Gosh, I think it was a few years ago and I've been putting out episodes here and there, but lately I've been on a roll. Um, And it started out, like you said, it's, navigating the aftermath of trauma. So the second one fits into that, but it's also a broader category. And part of my background is that I have lived for 29 years now. That's how long I've been married in Newtown, Connecticut. I've actually lived over 20 years in Sandy Hook where Mm. we had that terrible, horrible, horrific mass shooting. So my community was devastated by that, obviously. And my kids went to that school, although I was very fortunate they were no longer there. They're a little older. So because of that, I felt such a strong need to do something. And that's part of the social work training is not just about therapy. It's about contributing to your community. And because my kids weren't in the school and while we were all traumatized, we were not nearly as traumatized as many other layers and levels of people. I felt an obligation to step up and I helped form a gun violence prevention group out of Newtown called Newtown Action Alliance. It's a grassroots group and I got really heavily into that work. We made a lot of trips to Washington, uh, met with lawmakers and worked our butts off, worked with a lot of traumatized people. And I also got deeper into my own community here and met a lot more people and bonded over our shared pain and desire to help. So that's another angle that I was coming from. And my very first guest actually is my dear friend, David Wheeler. He and his wife, Francine, their son, Ben, who was seven years old, was murdered at Sandy Hook. Oh my God. And they are just two of the most incredible people. And they came on separately actually and talked to me about Mm. Ben and about their grief Mm. and about the work that they do with their foundation in the wake of that. So grief is a big part of our world. And that's another thing that I wanted to talk about. And grief certainly is interwoven in the second wound. So I've just been really lucky. I've been learning as I go. I had no idea what I was doing in the beginning. I've gotten better equipment. I've learned how to, you know, get it all down to a formula. Um, But I've been having really wonderful guests from the beginning and I just love it. And it is a great opportunity to be able to reach more people who I think need these messages. So cool. I love it. And Um, It's another one, you guys, to add to your playlists and to definitely 
check out. There's always more we can learn. And as many voices as we have speaking into what we're going through, the better. And one thing I loved about what you just said is like, adversity is adversity, no matter what you're going through. Pain is pain is pain. Um, We can't compare. Like I think about your, your friends, that family and the loss of their beautiful boy, Ben, and, and I'm thinking about it and I know his story and think I can even conjure up his face in my head. Um, And sometimes we get stuck in the trap of saying, their pain is worse than mine, or I could get, you know, could never get through that, but I could get through this. And I just, you know, part of what makes us human is these common shared experiences of things like pain, adversity, grief, trauma, you know, um, guilt, shame, everybody's going to face those things in their lives, whether it's at the beginning, middle and various times throughout life. Um, and, and to listen and learn from each other's journeys and stories and healing journeys And having as many voices speaking into that as possible, I think, is a beautiful thing, a necessary thing. And if we did more of that, this world would be a better, safer, happier, kinder place. Um, Absolutely. You're giving me chills saying that. And you're actually echoing some of the really specific themes that David talked about in our first episode. It's actually our second episode, but it's my first interview. Um, And just to touch on a couple of things you said there, I remember my therapist saying to me one time, if you fall down and break your leg and someone else breaks their neck, you know, you're still in acute pain that you broke your leg. It doesn't take that away, right? And I think it's important for us to remember that. And especially when you come from a traumatized community and there are so many now, there is a lot of that comparison that minimizes what we need to be able to feel ourselves, right? And I think we do need to honor the people who are hurting more, Mm -hmm. but also, What I loved about Francine's interview with me was she, we, we entitled it, you can still have joy. Mm. And that's the message that she gives, which is that she said that she likens herself to someone who has lost their arms and their legs and she can't do what everyone else can do, but she can still have joy. Mm. Wow. I'm going to go back and listen to that for sure. Cause you know, I'm sitting here as the mom of two little ones, a six and a half year old going, I don't think I could ever come out the other side of that one. I don't think I could ever breathe again. She didn't right? think she could either. Oh, what an, an example, um, for all of us, but a message to everybody that somebody out there looks at what you went through as something that would be impossible to get through and to still be standing. Right. Yeah. But we live with what we're dealt and we got to figure out a way around it. And, you know, one thing I was thinking about today before we talked was the fact that I've had a lifetime 
on and off of therapy because of the pain that I carry and the aftermath that has been ongoing for so long. And I'm really grateful for that because it didn't just help me with this. It helped me with all kinds of things. And I kind of feel like I have a master's in personal therapy at this point, you know, it's like raised my emotional IQ and it's made life better in a lot of ways. So we take the good with the bad, you know, and life is a learning experience. It's a classroom. And I hope I never stop learning. I love that. That's such a a great note. What a perfect way to wrap up this show. Miranda Pacchiana, thank you so much for being here, you guys. She's the host of the podcast. Check it out, Truth and Consequences, and check her out at secondwound.com. Sweet Miranda, thank you for being here. I adore you. Big hugs. Oh my gosh, right back at you. It was such a thrill. Thank you, Sarah. Have a great day. You too. Until we meet again, you guys, next week on Bar Fights. Thank you for listening to Bar Fights with attorney Sarah Klein, taking on issues that matter. Please check out our website at barfightspodcast.com, Instagram at barfightspodcast, or Twitter at barfights underscore pod for the latest show updates and archives.